don't hear anything. <laughs> I don't hear any music. Should I be hitting my head up and down? <laughs> Woohoo! Happy Woohoo! <laughs> I didn't hear the intro, Andrew. Total no, fake. Total fake. Okay. Kind of well, watching your head bobs. <laughs> hopefully it worked for the audience. Uh, but we're live. We're, we're back with another amazing guest uh, from around the world. Uh, we've got the amazing Rob Nixon, who is the chief antagonist at Profitable Partners, who's joining us live from just outside Brisbane, Australia. For, for another another guest from the future. Um, and Rob, you are an absolute legend in Australia. I mean, we were talking and you were telling us that you've helped coach, you know, 4,000 of the 12,000 some odd accountancy firms in, in Australia and have worked with firms all, all around the world. Um, so thank you for, for joining us today. How's your, how's your uh, Saturday going? Saturday's been great. It's a beautiful day here in Paradise. We're about 32 Celsius. I know in Canada nice. it's pretty horrible. I know Celsius. That's <laughs> nice. And, uh, you know, I've, I've built a golf course in my front yard and we've been featured recently. I heard about your golf course. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Is, is it true you've designed your own golf course? It is true. I designed my own golf course. Uh, this is the clubhouse, if you can see this um, on the nice. video feed. Uh, and we've been um, described by Golf Digest magazine as the best backyard golf course in the world. That's pretty cool. <laughs> wow, that is pretty cool. Yeah, that's an accolade that you can hang your hat on. Yeah. So you have yeah. lots of friends, I take it. Well, uh, we have at least 105, right? At least we have 117 members oh. of the golf club. 117 members. Yeah. So uh, uh, we're in the countryside a bit. So we give, I get visitors every week. Someone wants to come play golf. It's cool. What fun. Yeah, no I kidding. Hear, I hear the dues to join the club are a bottle of wine. Is that correct? Well, there's a couple of criteria before that. Andrew. Yeah, you can't what? just show up with a bottle and say, I'm here to join. <laughs> Here's a $9 <laughs> bottle of wine. Let's golf. That's it. And, and no dickheads. No dickheads allowed. Right? Oh, that's the All Blacks motto, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, referral only. So know you or like you. Uh, and a bottle of red wine for the seller. Uh, we put your name on it. And, uh, and then uh, your member number. And then at some time in the future, we drink it together. So it's a, our bottle of wine, not mine or the club's. Very, very cool. Very, cool. And you guys yeah. have done some tournaments and stuff and just had some amazing times. I was watching videos of people jumping into your pond. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. We, we had our first club championships. Um, actually, I'll just show you the trophy. I'm gonna take it. Um, <laughs> This is the trophy I put together for the, uh, nice. for the club championship. And uh, the winner got a uh, perpetual small one and a commemorative hat. Instead of the green jacket, they get the blue hat. Uh, and a 19-year-old kid cleaned us all up. Far out. I didn't even make the final. <laughs> <laughs> and you played okay. some of the best golf courses in the world. Yeah, so right behind me back here is a wall of hats. So I've got a listing of the top 100 courses in the world and the top 100 in Australia. And... Uh, my one of my one of my golf goals is to play the hundred in the world, and there's only been 49 people in the world that have played the world hundred. So it's super hard to do. I've done 24 of the hundred. Uh, of course, I was on track for seven last year, but COVID hit. I only got two in, and uh, it's about an eight to ten year plan to fill the wall. So I can't put the hat on unless I play the course. Very cool, and I love that uh, motivation and that drive and and the visualizing of it. Right? It's, it's like. 
having one of those uh, boards that uh, that Juliet's always talking about, right? A vision board. Yeah, vision board. Exactly. Yeah, I, will, I will pass it every night. Yeah, exactly. To motivate you and get you moving. Um, but on that note, I'd love to talk to you about motivating accountants. Um, just- <laughs> yeah, for a second there, I thought we could talk about golf the whole night, the whole night. Like that I'm is. Not, uh, I'm not a good enough golfer to talk. No, golf I'm terrible. Night. So I'm never. I can I'm tell not you what it looks membership. like from the woods. Sure. <laughs> yeah. We can talk about motivating accountants. That's a cool topic, actually. I think so. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's really um, also great to have a guest who's got such a diverse background about traveling around the world because I always find it fun to just have a conversation and understand the differences between the different parts of the world, right? Um, You know, so many of us have have always talked about Australia being the leaders in cloud accounting. Um, And, and I'd love to hear from your perspective, you know, is that, is that true? Does that apply to every aspect of their, of their business? Are they, is Australian, are Australian accountants leading the world, not just in the cloud accounting, but the way that they're envisioning envisioning the future of owning and managing a practice yeah so um we can talk about that because uh we can come back to the motivation thing later on uh, i've worked in 18 countries so far uh coached 100 or trained or coached 185,000 accountants um uh, over the last 20 nearly 27 years so may 1994 i started most of the work's been in australia though um like uh, we coached directly 800 firms in Australia, but we had 4,000 total clients um, in, in, in collective. So he, here's my perspective on that one and why it is so, right? So I, I am one of a long list of um, commentators coming out of Australia. And I can f- date it right back to the 70s when you've had consultants and commentators do seminar roadshows around the country to educate. And Australia, like Canada and the US, a big landmass, but we've only got six major cities, right? So for us to, and we're 80% of the population up. So for us to educate a market as an educator or trainer, we can put on a seminar roadshow for six cities and cover 80% of the accountants. And this has been going on for decades in Australia. So as you go to the USA, there's 72 cities above 500,000 people. And of course, how are you going to cover that territory? Now, certainly with webinars, we can do it, uh, but even still not as effective in some respects as a workshop or a seminar. So, so for years and years and years and years, decades, decades, a whole string of people have been bringing uh, best practice, if that's the term, to Australian and New Zealand, I call New Zealand both together, accounting firms, and the accountants have embraced it and cloud, um, you know, cloud happened far out. We don't even talk about cloud anymore. In, in Australia, that, that just happened. You know, you know, we stopped talking about the penetration of cloud accounting in Australia back in 16 or 17, maybe even 15. Yeah, you know, it was it's, very much- That's all you have now, right? There's so, no well, desktop, yeah. anything. You've still got desktop, but it's so it's not minor right. in the penetration yeah. of the business community. And you just don't talk about it, right? So, yeah. um, you know, cause Xero started the, the whole revolution in 2008 or nine in New Zealand. And Australia, you know, and I was a big promoter of the whole space back in 10, 11, 12, 13. In fact, one of the things I did is I, I, I coined a phrase, and this is relevant to markets that aren't um, as prevalent in the cloud space. And that was most accountants are redundant data accountants. They're dealing in dead data, right? 
why don't we use this technology called cloud accounting so that you can be a real-time accountant, have real-time data at your fingertips and be really useful, of course, to your clients. And it is catching on in North America, but you're still about- We to love it. We love yeah. it. That's no, that's no. where we play. Oh, and, the and pandemic just... has pushed that leaps and bounds forward. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Accounting know, firms are, are dying if they're not adapting and they have to do it now. They have no 100%. choice. And the then, ones and that were cloud enabled, were just able to take it on. It just they had to scale up a bit, but it was easy because they. Had but Andrew, the what's interesting? Uh, you mentioned about coming from the future because you know we're seventeen hours ahead. But in this particular topic, we certainly have a years good, ahead. Years ahead, and one thing, and if I can offer some help, um, we noticed in New Zealand, which was which actually has the highest penetration of cloud accounting in the business community in the world. New Zealand does, right? You know, Australia's slightly behind. What happened? Which is I was five people in a go, right? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, there's about 2000 firms there. There's about half a million small businesses. Um, what happened, I, I was uh, benchmarking the performance of New Zealand accounting firms for uh, 14 years straight, right? And this started at about 2002, went through to about 2016. And, and I was specifically looking at the uh, profit per partner before partner salaries, the profit partner, right? Not the percentage, but the absolute dollars. And back in 2003, it was $176,000, right? $176,000 way back then. And the graph, and I've got this spreadsheet that I kept for all these years. I added 5% per year to my spreadsheet. Then we got the real numbers in and tracked that. And of course, there was going up and up and up and up. And then in about 2009-10, it's starting to flatten out. And the, the, where it should have been in 16, since I stopped um, tracking this, it should have been at $311,000 at 5% small percentage per year, but ended up being $202,000. And was, so what, what that- What was the plateau? What caused it? So, so what happened? So, so the at 5% a year from 176 to 311, right? Uh, but the reality was it went from 176 to just over 200. And what happened was, the, the, although the penetration of cloud was so prevalent in the sort of 9, 10, 12, 13 years, there were three things that the New Zealand accountants didn't do, which caused effectively their profit to go backwards, right? And the three things were, they weren't pricing jobs up front, right? So there was no signed agreement with the client on the price. And so consequently, as they got more efficient, the price and time-based billing in arrears, the price went down. You know, so if you've got, and, and you can with cloud, we've seen it get up to 80% more efficient, but 50% is very doable. And you may know this, Andrew, if you're a full cloud firm, right? And, and so if you get 50% more efficient and you price in arrears, you've got to double your charge rates to make the same money. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was the first big lesson, right? And we picked this up like along the way. Second thing, they didn't readjust their cost structure. So as they got efficient, because they couldn't see the efficiencies, they didn't look to lay off people or offshore or you know, outsource, right? And the third thing they didn't do, because again, they couldn't see the efficiency gains, but they could feel them, they couldn't actually physically see them on hours available. They didn't fill the capacity with uh, acquisitions, new clients, uh, new services. So consequently, the profit went backwards. Right. So you had a lesson, people lesson from the future. Yeah. Lesson from the future, don't do that, right? <laughs> That's great. So the thing is, obviously, so value price. But value pricing, it's a difficult thing to do. And I think that's why so many people avoid it. 
because, um, and I know for ourselves in the value pricing game, uh, it was it was a struggle for us too because you would have that you, you, when you first start out. Anyone who first starts out with value pricing is going to get it wrong, right? At least so well, I don't know. Let's, about let's first of all let's differentiate between price upfront and value pricing. Two different things altogether, right? So so pricing upfront is merely an agreed price and scope of works before starting. And that could be a monthly fixed fee. It could be a price for the project. It could be a menu of services fixed price, right? That's right. price up front. That yeah. may not be value price. That might be last year's plus five or 10%, but it's an agreed right. price to start. Value price is a completely different argument altogether and different strategy, which is really getting a, a, a reward for what the outcome is for the client. You know, you are right. rewarded appropriately for your contribution to the client's condition. Two separate things altogether. Yeah, and I think you're right. I mean, that's a very good point because so many of us think about pricing upfront as only being value pricing because there's been so much thrown at us. Talk about it. That's all they hear about at the conferences. Value price, value price, value price. But yeah, I I know what you're saying because sometimes people don't, they just say say it out loud. They say, I don't know what to charge, right? Hmm. So they just have some random number out there. Or they charge something or they set a price upfront and then this is this is the problem we had. We set a price. We said, okay, this is going to be the thing, and this is going to be the, the the value price. And then we we go and we go do the work, and we would have been better off charging by the hour because we didn't structure it properly because there was a bunch of unknowns, right? And learning curve. And for us, it was definitely we had to rework our value pricing or upfront pricing to you know have caveats where. Hey, if you want, if you really want to call me every single day, like that concept of unlimited, you know, talk to your accountant whenever you want, unlimited speak to your accountant, which was one of the first things we did. Biggest mistake we ever did was say, <laughs> hey, you can talk to your accountant anytime you want, because all of a sudden everyone just wanted to call you every day. Um, and they're like, well, it's included in my package. So I'm going to call you to figure out whether I should buy glasses or contacts. <laughs> is it a better tax deduction to buy glasses? Well, Andrew, Andrew, was the strategy wrong or was your price wrong? I'm going to suggest the strategy was right and the price was way wrong. And also the mismanagement of scope creep and scope seep in that example. You know, because yeah. if you've got a scope of works that includes this, this and that and includes unlimited phone calls, emails, meetings, but something vastly different turns up, that's a separate project separately priced. It's no different when you take your car in for a service and 10 o'clock they call you and say, by the way, Rob, the disc, the brakes are gone. We need the disc brakes, right? Scope, yeah. crimp, scope, So the strategy is not wrong. It's the, it's the execution of it is wrong. Well, and it was for us, it was not defining the scope well enough. Yeah, yeah. So you're right. It was scope creep, but the problem was we hadn't taken the time to define the scope well enough mm-hmm. up front. That's so it. it was scope creep, but because we hadn't defined the scope of the project well enough, it was within the program that we had agreed to with them. So we had to yep. go back and be like, we need to do better at defining what the scope is 100%. for this project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was, it, but it's also, like I said, it, it's, it's a difficult thing because, because it takes that, those learning curves, right? You've got to, you, for, for myself, you've you got to learn the hard way, right? Uh, once well, you th- learn. Think, think of it this way, right? Uh, on this particular topic. Time-based billing in arrears uh, promotes padding of timesheets, write-downs, going slow, and not being efficient, right? The firm is not incentivized for maximum efficiency because the more you put on the clock, the more you get. Uh, 
and, and that whole model is fundamentally flawed for maximum profits, uh, where if you've got an agreed price that is scoped properly, as you've discussed, Andrew, now we're directly incentivized to take as much time out of the job as possible, not by cutting corners, just by being efficient. And we pop the margin, the average hourly rate, and we get the capacity to resell. Um, or I've got a client, a coach, they have a five-hour workday, right? They're a $4 million firm with a five-hour workday. Take that, right? <laughs> this is pretty cool. So, yeah, yeah, it, right? yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we are lifestyle central down here. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Well, I would be too if I lived on a beach. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're when you're stuck in the cold that's why I, that's why i think golf course america, on the beach yeah golf course and, and a beach um but i think in north america maybe the reason we have this big rat race is because for half the year at least for for many of us it's so cold we've got nothing other than other than work to keep us motivated sure yeah, yeah. um but so speaking of motivation we, we sort of sidetracked that discussion <laughs> Um, We've know, been known to do that. Yeah, we, we, and we do go on tangents. <laughs> this does happen. Well, Rob reached out this afternoon, and and any guests um, from the, from the future, um, th don't bother asking if there's a script or if there's a program. I just say follow <laughs> Andrew's lead. So you got it. Got it. Here we are. And Andrew, um, as we've learned through the weeks, he learns things about people they didn't know about themselves or they forgot existed. So it's... I'm looking forward to that bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you don't want your life socially creeped, <laughs> don't come on FNL. But you put it out there in the public realm. Did you just so say that out loud? You just said that out loud? <laughs> I, of course, am going to socially stalk all my guests. I think that that's the responsibility of the host to do, right? Sure. And for me... I, I've got to say, like, this This is why I love Friday Night Live. Obviously, you know, I'm. it's not paying my bills. It's not keeping the lights on. The reason I do it is because I love having connections and building relationships with people in this industry, gaining insights, learning knowledge. And so part of that is getting to know our guests. Um, and within an hour, that's not enough time. So I need to spend some more time stalking you a little bit so i hope you're not offended rob that i did not at all let's honestly what else you've got yeah. <laughs> so do i but, yeah well we'll save that for the after show that's where the after show comes 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 into play but in the meantime i, I do want to get back to this motivating accounts and and mm -hmm. so we talked about the, the difference between australia and the u.s a little bit or, or australia and other parts of the world um is there a difference in what motivates accountants in different Culture so here's the challenge on motivation uh, and then we'll here's the challenge and then we'll talk about what what we can do and um, the accounting profession is one of the most rock solid profitable professions industries in the world right here we are we're in 2021 last year was a an absolute mess of a year and accounting firms still grew pandemic proof right it's mm -hmm. very rare that you see uh, a loss making accounting firm very rare uh, it's very rare that they might have a loss for a month but not for the year it's very rare that you see an accounting firm go out of business right very rare and after thousands and thousands and thousands of them and seeing how they work they're pretty solid right the thing about what happens here you find a client a client's referred to a firm or it's marketing orientated market uh, lead client the client sticks around for 10 or 15 years Right. And so, so that, right. First of all, so uh, rock solid industry, not going out of fashion anytime soon. Uh, compliance will be here forever. Just to vary changes, nothing sure than tax and, 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 and death and taxes. 
Clients yeah, stick exactly around forever. Right? The only guarantees in life are death and taxes. That's it. Clients stick, and I'm not an accountant. I just seem, seem to hang around accountants and love the company. Um, uh, clients stay for a long time. They're very loyal, right? Uh, on top of that, you don't really have to try that hard to grow the business because you can, you know, I'm talking about the, the sort of accounting practice, not the accounting business. Organic referrals, you mean, stuff like that. Few referrals, price increases, where we go. So they grow, 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 right? Uh, and then on top of that, the government changes the rules and they've got some new business to do, right? So, <laughs> so all of that, all of that breeds a very reactive profession. It breeds a very comfortable profession. You know, I'll interview a new firm that I'm coaching and typically the partners are making 300 grand profit, maybe a bit more um, starting mark. And, you know, they're making much, much more than the average wage, average income of any country. You know, typically four or five times more the average income. So as a result of that, uh, and they're quite frugal, they get quite comfortable. And the problem with comfort it breeds apathy. The problem with apathy, it breeds lack of progress. And so it takes something, right? Some degree of discomfort before they're motivated to really kick this thing into gear. You know, so, so for example, um, it could be a health scare. It could be the realization that you're not in this thing forever uh, as far as business. It might be, um, you know, some sort of big client they lost. They go, man, I just lost a 200 grand client or 100 grand client or whatever it was. And that was like 10% of my fee base, something to jolt them. It might be um, some sort of deep inner, I just want more out of life. And then that's when they start to move and implement and change uh, because the, the profession is an amazing vehicle. This accounting business is an amazing vehicle to create wealth. You know, uh, just yesterday, sorry, what day is today? Yeah, yesterday it was, yeah, yesterday. Uh, one of the firms I coach um, is actually case studies. This is public uh, information on, on uh, YouTube. It's Kevin Bassett, right? And Kevin, for the first time this year, hit a million dollars profit out of his uh, business in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, and so he's a sole practitioner, million dollars profit. Awesome, right? Million and 33, got. And he's, when I interviewed him a couple of months back about the journey, he said, lifestyle is sorted. And he turns 50 this year. Lifestyle is sorted. Now I'm building generational wealth, right? You throw a million a year profit or 1.5 or two in the next couple of years that you'll make and don't spend all of it. You can tuck a lot away over 10 years and create generational wealth. And that's not talked about that much in this profession. You know, uh, it, it provides a good job, a good income, but really, if you really want to do something significant with it, it can create some serious wealth for the partners mm -hmm. and, and the not on the kids. sale of the business. Yeah. And what do you, what do you think about uh, sale of the business? And, you know, the, the fact that we do have an aging population within the accounting community and the inevitable succession of many of these firms. So obviously, yes, great. You can build up great, great wealth while you're, running and managing your practice when it comes time to sell and what is the right time for an accounting firm to sell and what's the right things to put in place before you sell well let's dial it back a little bit and talk about partners and then we'll talk about that because there's a structural thing going on as to why they think they need to sell if you look at an accounting practice uh, typically and the difference between accounting practice accounting business which i'll get to right Typically, accounting practice has multiple partners or one partner, then multiple partners. And typically, it's around a million dollars in revenue 
they start thinking about another partner, give or take either side of a million bucks, their quote unquote book of business that we've got, we need to bring a partner on. And what happens is the partners are, are, are promoted from within that that senior manager has now got some equity, some skin in the game, they've either bought in or whatever method it's been. And unfortunately, a lot of those senior managers now with the label of partner still operate like a senior manager. They don't operate like partners. So I've met thousands of partners that are there for retention reasons, not good business reasons. And there's too many partners. There's seriously too many partners. There's too many owners. As I said before, Brad, you know, too many indecision, indecision makers. Indecision makers, that is brilliant, yeah. And where, if you think about this, so that's the partnership model. And then at some point in time, the retiring partner, one of the internals will buy him or her out, or alternatively, they'll sell the whole shop to a much larger firm, right? And they'll get dollar for dollar on the whole thing, uh, which shouldn't be dollar for dollar, but that's just the way they trade. And, and, and that's all well and good, but what if there was a different way? What if that... 35, 40 year old partner uh, who's a sole owner never brought on another partner in the next 20 years, mm. never, right? And they structured the business like a business and they had operators in there that were paid extremely well, but they had zero equity. Why do we have to grant equity to retain someone? Because most of those partners are there, they have equity, so they're retained because the behavior doesn't change. Right. You know, just last year, it was actually this time last year, I was in a coaching session with a firm from Maryland. And uh, anyway, two partner firm, and I knew one of the senior accountants was buying one of the partners out. And, and, and they said, oh, there's also, I'm not gonna call him by name, uh, but I'll just call it Bill. There's also Bill who's gonna come in on this deal as well. I said, whoa, 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 where did Bill come from? <laughs> I've never met this person before. Oh no, he was promised equity uh, a number of years ago by the outgoing partner. So the two partners, 50% each, and that one of them was going to keep his 50, the other 50 was going to be split two ways for Bill and, uh, and Harry, I'll call them, right? And anyway, I said, hang on a minute. Well, well who, who is Bill? Oh, Bill's been hanging, he's been here for 15 years. He's been <laughs> promised equity. I said, well, what about Bill? He said, well, there's a problem with Bill. I said, what's the problem? This is before, and I put a stop to this, by the way. And they, they said, well, there's a couple of things about him. Although he's been promised equity, he doesn't want to sell. He just wants to do his client work. I said to the Harry, who's going to buy them out. I said, if you make, and Harry's 32, right? If you make this decision, if you make this decision, it's going to cost you at least $10 million in your career for that 25 points of equity, because it's a decent sized firm. It's now five and a half mil, throws $3 million profit, right? And, and, and um, he was buying 25, now he's bought 50. And I said, this will cost you at least $10 million because of the growth trajectory you're on. And this guy is not going to change anything. He's going to get his salary of quarter of a million. He's going to make millions from you. Don't do the deal. And of course they didn't. And now it's back to a two-partner firm. Uh, they had to let, um, let him down nicely. And was, but that was a classic case. They're about to promote him, although he could afford the equity and nothing was going to change in the next 10 years. There was no behavior changes. Right. So what do you think of like, is profit sharing a better retention strategy then as opposed to partnership? So you can give them the feel and comfort of buying into the firm without actually owning any equity in the firm? The most successful sole practitioner I've ever coached started with me when he was about a million in revenue, 350 profit. Uh, fast forward a bunch of years and he's now about 17 million in revenue and half profit uh, with no partners but he's got a CEO that he pays 400 grand to, for example. 
His top line managers get quarter million dollars. Uh, he's got profit share in place. That's profit sharing in its own right. It's just totally. getting the good people in, pay get for the, the talent. People. Pay them well, you know. I, I know uh, he's bought um, cars for his top people, paid off loans for his top people, you know, put some handcuffs on them, but he owns all the equity. Right, so give him the golden handcuffs, but not the equity. Yeah, and there's, there's agreements around that. The equity is the, the, the jewel. And of course, you know, um, here's another example, right? I've uh, got a, a firm that I work with um, in Pennsylvania and uh, 80, 22 partners, about 4 million revenue. And sure enough, within three months, it was highlighted that one of the partners, the 20%, was not going to change, not playing ball. Uh, and, the, and, and we've basically negotiated a deal to, and not only that, he would ride the wave of growth and not do anything for it. So there's been a deal struck this week on buying that 20% partner out and then bringing some more hungry people in to take the 20 out that are going to grow the firm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So now you mentioned briefly that you think the dollar for dollar or the one times earnings multiple that has become the standard industry norm um, shouldn't is not valid or shouldn't exist. I, I, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'd love to, to dive into that a little bit deeper. Well, that, every other every other other than software companies, right? Other than tech companies that are valued based on recurring revenue, right? Top line recurring revenue pretty much every other business in the world is valued based on a multiple of EBITDA, right? A multiple of profit. Right, but we do it on top line. Why is that? Yeah, which is crazy. So, you know, when, when I coach a firm, the metrics we use that we get them to, right? They're not there when we start. We get them to about um, uh, 55 to 60% profit before partner salaries, while partner time, client time is below 500 hours, right? So, and that's typically a million dollars after tax for partners, while partner chargeable time is below 500 hours, well below, right? So this thing is running independent of the partners. Now, some other numbers in there, overhead at 15 to 20%, and then salaries at 20 to 25%. So the GP is around 75%, right? So you look at that and say, you've got a very profitable business here at call it 50% margin. You get a million dollar firm at 50% margin making 500 grand on the market, it'll only sell for a million dollars. But as a multiple of profit, that should be sold for at least two, maybe even right. two and a half. It's a crazy metric. And, and what about this whole recurring revenue? As more and more accountants are getting into monthly fixed fee pricing or value pricing or upfront pricing, does that change the valuation of a firm? I think it's too early to tell, but I hope so. You know, so I certainly push firms towards monthly recurring revenue. It's kind of the theory right now, Andrew. We've talked about this late nights in San Jose about yeah. monthly recurring revenue gives you better multiples. It and just it does. It's more Paff, it's stickier. Yeah, it was Matt Paff and and Richard Ropa had this conversation. It was like watching a tennis match. <laughs> you had you had Richard Ropa, who has a style all his own. He's um, he's American, super gay, super opinionated, but smart as hell, lovable. And then you got Matt Paff. You know Matt, and um, I love them both. But their style—it was like watching—I don't know if you if you watch tennis at all in the '70s, but it was like Eli Nastasi against Bjorn Borg. You know, it was finesse versus brute force, and it was brilliant. So who was finesse? Who was brute force? 
Well, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. But but we got into that discussion, and it just makes sense because it you have a stickier client. Well, it's, and- they they don't have time to think about their annual engagement. <clears throat> they don't think about going anywhere else. Just and above up. and beyond that, like Rob was saying, if you looked at this like a traditional business and not the accounting firm model, yeah, there's more value in, in having regular recurring uh, revenue that is paid before you actually have to expend exactly. any of the cost. And in the accounting world, all the higher margin services too. Before right? you ever we're looking at higher margin that. services, the advice, you know. We're not going to get into the the trusted advisor thing because I think we all agree that that yeah. that's just overplayed. But it's it's true to the sense that you know I don't play in the space of most accounting firms myself. You guys know I'm a software guy. I've worked in industry. I've worked in businesses for years, and so many accounting firms I see just aren't well run in the way they think about their businesses. You know, they get all hung up on the way they used to do things. Rather than thinking about efficiency, they're always saying, oh, it costs too much. No one's ever thinking about return on that investment, right? And we've learned that, you know, you can, you can free up time to provide high value services using the technology and the know-how mm-hmm. and charge, you know, two grand for a forecast that takes you an hour or two. And it's worth two grand. So you can just go, bingo, I'm in. And, and it's, you know, a lot of accountants don't think of it that way. They get hung up on the historical cost. How much did it cost me? It's crazy. And, and but, you know, fortunately, and, and Robin, you mentioned earlier about how the industry grew so much in the U.S. Like that's kind of, or sorry, down under, that's kind of where I had started learning about cloud accounting because it was zero in New Zealand. And, yeah. and so, you, you know, you're so far ahead in North America, there's still a lot of skeptical behavior. People still want to hold on to their old ways, you know, hosted. They go, I'm in the cloud. I'm, I'm no, on hosted, desktop. Hosting. Please, yeah. please poke my eyes out, right? Yeah. All the, ho- all the hosting companies went broke in Australia. That's not cloud. <laughs> and that makes sense, right? Because the demand just went down, but it's, we're definitely, um, Andrew and I are really fortunate to be in an environment where we know literally hundreds of amazing people who are, you know, pioneers in North America and they're doing amazing things. And um, it's, it's fun to watch from an accountant's perspective because even though I didn't go into, into um, public accounting um, and I stayed in industry, I still like seeing what accountants are doing for, for the profession. It's amazing how we've taken this, this stale sort of, it's a necessary evil. Rob, you mentioned accounting firms don't lose money. It's because you have to get that done whether you like it or not. And, yeah. and too many accounting firms are like, they take that for granted. They just, oh, the business will come from the sky, but it's definitely shifting because I know when I talk to business owners, they want a progressive accountant that understands the way of the world now because they've seen these technologies advertised on TV, or their friends talk about it, or their networking group. They're saying, "Hey, I'm on cloud account." I get people like that all the time. So, let me let me make a let me make a little prediction here, right? Yes, uh, in, I'd, in, I'd love to hear it from the future. Again. From the future, all right. And this one actually has been formulating since COVID hit last March, right? So the the gift of COVID to the accounting profession has been that communication acceptance levels have changed, right? Uh, they're all at home. They're all on, not all, of course, uh, on Zoom, team meetings, communication on Zoom, 
client meetings on Zoom, Zoom up the wazoo or WebEx or whatever they use, right? And so as a result of that, in one go, in one go, the communication acceptance levels will change. I switched accountants last June after 13 years, right? 13 years in business, and in, sorry, 13 years as a business client of an accounting firm switched last June. I haven't even met them yet, right? It's all been done by Zoom. How cool is that, right? So, so here's the thing. What does that mean for the accounting firm in Toronto, in Calgary, or New York? Do or business wherever. Do business wherever, right? Yeah. And so then, because it's okay, because previously, most accounting firms, their client base, 80% of their client base, were within Local. a two-hour driving yes. radius of the firm, right? Local and paper-based, right? And bring the, your boxes in. Bring, bring your, your stuff shoe in. boxes in. Yeah. Yep. So bring your stuff in. So consequently, the, the annual visit or the whatever visit to the accounting firm office, I need to drive that. And so the clients were locally based. Now, all of a sudden, hang on a minute, we can have them wherever. Uh, and we can put a marketing machine in place, target an industry sector, really promote the heck out of it, be seen as an expert, a digital expert on that space, download a book, get a report, you know, see some video or whatever. And who cares where the client is and where the accounting firm is? You know, who, and so here's the kicker. These nimble marketing tech-based firms are going to grab onto that one, right? Grab onto it because the client is totally okay with having their accounting firm cross country. And so if that client is in a particular industry sector, a niche market, as the Americans call it niche, Americans, there's no T in niche, right? We call it niche in Canada. I know you do, but you're Canadian, right? It's the Americans, right? And so they target a niche market. Uh, you know, for example, I've got a firm in Atlanta that I coach and, and they use it every time I meet with them, right? We want to dominate this market, dominate. They use the word dominate across the states, right? Dominate. We want to be the dominant player. And so, cool, let's go with that, right? Let's have some fun with that one. And, and, and their, their target market can be anywhere. So, so my prediction is what we saw with technology-based accounting firms, big, big shift, cloud, you know, differentiator, et cetera. But now we've got communication acceptance levels have changed. Then we'll put the afterburners on for marketing and sales, sell by Zoom, et cetera. Now that's going to change the landscape. And if, like, for example, I just um, started with a new firm today uh, in Toronto, of all places, right? Where are you guys from? A decent-sized five-partner firm. One of their things was, Rob, we want you to teach us how to sell by Zoom. Because right, we don't know how. We've always relied on a center of influence, a local handshake, a coffee meeting, a beer or breakfast, whatever it is but that ain't happening anymore. We need to work out how to sell by Zoom. And so they've already picked up. They need to learn how to do this because they can do it. And that, so my prediction is there's going to be some lost clients of traditional firms to tech uh, savvy quality. firms. Modern it's, firms. The, Modern the funny firm. thing is, Rob, you mentioned this and I was watching today a video that came up. It was a memory on Facebook. It was from three years ago. It was in an interview with the president. Of Best day ever. That was one of my favorite days ever in the profession. I'll have you know. And he was asking us, you know, where do we see the future of the industry three years from now? And of course, the video comes up three years later in memories. I'm like, not one of us predicted in the middle of a pandemic. No. Uh, um, but we were we were talking about that sort of whole idea of you know being able to service people anywhere and be virtual and not need to have a physical office. Yeah. Um, and, and the ability to, you know, have clients around the world or around the country at the very least, if you're, you know, tax centric to one country, 
Um, and the one thing I, I think that's really interesting within the accounting world is the whole digital marketing space is still relatively untapped um, from my perspective. We, we do a fair bit in the digital marketing space. There's a handful, like you can count. Andrew, you're being humble. Andrew knows a thing or two about, about marketing. It's awesome. But well, that's but for another is, day. You know, that's certainly for another day. And, and there's, I think that there's such a big opportunity now that borders are broken down to be able to, to, to grow and use models from other businesses um, where, you know, you, you look at your lifetime value of your customer, you look at your cost of acquisition. And it's like, I, I, I've said it to many people, it's a money printing machine. Mm-hmm. You, you put money in the front and it comes out the back bigger. <laughs> well, so. th think of it this way. Think of it this way. Um, you know, an acquisition versus marketing. Talk about sale of business, right? Mm -hmm. uh, accounting firms love buying other accounting firms, right? Because it's fast growth. But to me, that's expensive growth. You think about a million dollar firm buying a half million dollar firm bolt on. They've just spent half a million bucks to buy that firm. However, it's paid for, you're still paying half a million dollars, right? Yeah. That, that, and that, let's say that half million dollar firm comes with 105 grand clients, for example, 105 grand clients. Well, five grand a client marketing cost is a lot of marketing to find a client. It's, it's huge. Right? Our cost it's of huge. acquisition is in the hundreds of dollars, not in the thousands Correct. of dollars. <laughs> and so if you look at a software company, Brad, you know, CAC to LTV ratio, you know, we want that above four to one in a SaaS company, you know, which means we spend a dollar, we get four times at least. Well, we spend a dollar in the accounting profession in marketing, call it $100, you can get a thousand times return over the lifetime. And, it, and you're right, you know, more digital marketing, you know, the, the brand presence, you know, most of the websites I see for accountants absolutely suck, right? It's just dreadful. They all look the same. Wayne Schmidt did a study, he, a, a webinar, and he, he did a study with one of his companies and he said every, it's like, 80 or 90% of accounting websites are identical. Okay. Now, when I say identical, they just About list out what they do. Yeah. Contacts. Yeah. Contact me here and I Free do year ends. Here's the opportunity. Wayne's a good friend. Here's the opportunity. It doesn't take much to differentiate because most of the profession is, is traditional and it goes back to that comfort thing. You know, I'm going to make my three or four hundred, maybe two fifty a, a year without even trying. So the website's ten years old, as an example, right? The environment isn't up to date; they don't have to try. But the savvy ones, the ones that grab onto this, they will make a killing over the next ten or fifteen years—a killing. Mm -hmm. and that building is that uh, digital trust, right? Like you were talking about, how do you sell on Zoom? Well, big part of that in my world is you've got to have pre-sold them by building your digital reputation before yep. they even land in that meeting, right? Like what do your Google reviews look like? What do your, you know, Yelp reviews look like? Like do you have a reputation in the industry that the client, cause you know, anyone who's gonna Zoom meeting with you is gonna, you know, socially stalk you the way I socially stalk <laughs> Rob tonight. Like that's what they're doing to your firm. And if you don't realize that, and if you're not aware of that you're missing out on a tremendous amount of opportunity to grow your business. And, and I do find it so interesting, you know, when we were talking about motivating accounting firms, to me, it's always just been inherent to want to grow. I, I don't know if it's my personality or what it is. I, I, I've always wanted to have a practice that, that grows, but it's amazing how many people out there 
within the industry because I just assume everyone wants to grow. Well, apparently not. And no. fact, apparently some people are just comfortable. You know, it's it's a let, job let, replacement. Let, let me give you um, a real simple eight-step formula on transforming an accounting firm. Right. Uh, and, and, and it's really, it'll only take a couple of minutes to explain if that's okay, guys. Absolutely. Yep. Cool. Number one, uh, what is your life bucket list? Right. What are the life things that you want to do? Partner of accounting firm, the big long list of achievements, things to do, right? Make it long. Number two, what is your financial retirement number? So what do you need in cash generating assets to uh, support your life when you've finished and hung up the calculator and the keyboard, right? To support you. And that might be, you need 500 grand a year incoming from other assets, right? Now we can start, so once we know those two things, now we can start designing the business your way, right? So number three, what do you want your business life to look like? Your professional working life. Uh, so that would include uh, types of clients that you serve, role in the firm, what you actually do with your time in the firm. Next one, right? We're up to one, two, three, up to four, right? Uh, four is what do you want your numbers to be? So your revenue, your profit, you know, talk about monthly recurring revenue, that's negative whip. When you get, when you've got negative whip as a number, counts receivable is a choice, you should have none. You know, what margin do you want? Numbers, 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 right? Uh, and you can make a lot of money out of this profession for sure. Uh, five. Uh, what do you want the products and services to be? These are in order, by the way. This is order. Products and services to be that you want to sell. And so what things do you actually want to deliver as a firm? Uh, next is going to be what culture do you want? Right? What um, environment? No office, virtual team, uh, no team, solo, you know, a cool environment to go to. These types of people above market culture, right? Uh, next and second last is who... Do you want as a client? And if you've got an abundance mentality, uh, you'll only select A-class clients because they're going to be with you for the next 10 or 15 years. So why not have A-class clients only? Amen, Absolute brother. sweet spot, A-class clients, Amen. right? And get rid of the rest. Then the final piece. The final piece is what are the rules around each of those pieces, right? What are the rules, the business rules, and then sticking to those rules? As in, I'll only bring on this type of client. By the way, that's an order, right? Once you get the bucket list and the number out of the way, business life, numbers, uh, product services, culture, clients come last. Whoever said that the client comes first is full of BS, right? <laughs> the partners should come first, not the clients. But this so, last 12 months, since March, they've been so looking after clients, and I get it, but they haven't looked after themselves, whether it be financially or health-wise. If you get the business by design working you select your clients and make sure they're only a-class clients who want to pay the amount you want to charge and buy what you want to sell so that you as the partner can have a good life so rob you, you and i reached out uh through linkedin um you were you were telling me about your new book is are these eight points featured in your new book yeah so the book is called the wealthy accountant this is book number four it just came out this this, this year last year april last year the wealthy accountant you can get on Amazon, um, and it's all about you how. That, to... That's a that's a good title, people. <laughs> is it on Audible? The wealthy bookkeeper accounts, right? You can learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That so too. I, I'm non-denominational. You can be an EA. You can be a chartered accountant, CPA. You can be a bookkeeper, whatever. 
uh, non-denominational uh, and any country it works in. So, uh, and it's been sold off, off the rails, which is great. Um, but the wealthy accountant, the whole idea is it's not an oxymoron, right? It's not an oxymoron. And so uh, that actual first piece, Business by Design is in the first chapter, uh, you know, to, to get, because I've just seen it. I've seen so many partners of firms when the business is humming, when it's working well, when they're not spending all the money, they can create some serious wealth out of this firm. Not just a, mm. not just a job. That could, and not just a job that consumes them as well. Wow. Yeah. That is... Sounds like a great book. And yeah. you, you got that on your on your uh, reading list? Is it oh, available in... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, not an Audible yet, but you can get the Kindle. Uh, you can buy. Can I just get you to come over one night and read it to me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Hey, you remember if you invite an Aussie to come visit, they will, Andrew. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but I, but I'd rather come visit you, Rob. Well, yeah, you can't I don't, at the moment. I don't golf, but uh... I golf just poorly. Um, but one of the other things, that I, and, and we are, believe it or not, and we've only got about ten minutes left here. Um, but you, you mentioned Wayne as a, a good friend of yours. And Wayne is Wayne. quality. Except um, the time he gave me his, his flu from wherever. He, <laughs> came, he showed up to connect sick and then I got it pretty, I got hit pretty hard. And it didn't, it didn't help that we were sitting on our comfy couches together. We, oh, yeah. Andrew and I always sat on these couches <laughs> in the front row and, and Wayne knew we'd be there and he would just show up and and say, hey guys, you got my spot. And of course we we were okay with it, but he was blowing his nose. And can you imagine if he did that today? If someone showed up and started coughing all over you? COVID. But yeah. So I got a, I, an Aussie flu. I, I wanted to know about because I know Wayne is huge in the B1G1. I know you're big in the B1G1. Um, and I, I don't know if everyone knows what B1G1 is. Uh, buy one, give one. Um, it's, I think, amazing. It's, it's much bigger over in Australia and in the UK than it seems to have taken off here in North America. But it's this idea of corporate social responsibility, but having a way to tie that back into your business. I'd love to share, you know, like, I'd love you to share a little bit more about your involvement with B1G1, why you chose to give away a goat at your golf tournament, what? and why you think accountants should be more involved in something like B1G1. Yeah, so let's start with the goats. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, being a, a, a golf club, um, just a private one with 117 members, we had our first club championships last year. And for a bit of fun, I said for every birdie that we get, you know, which is one under the power of the, of the hole, I'll donate a goat to a, um, a, a family in Kenya. You know, we've got 63 birdies, 63 goats donated. Uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, this, instead of a Christmas present, a traditional present for each of my clients, I actually, for every client, I gave a goat to the, uh, another family in Kenya, right? So the goat uh, will sustain uh, income uh, for that family for a year. Uh, throughout, so that's one thing on the goats. Uh, throughout the year, for every $10 in new profit that my firms and I coach make, we give something through being one g one and typically it's, a, it's an e-learning or a education type uh, thing. And we've given over a million uh, giving activities in the last couple of years uh, through B1G1. So we tie it to the performance of the clients uh, and they know about that, they love it. Um, you know, so not so much a Christmas gift, but you, know, you make money and we'll do this on your behalf. Uh, 
And so some of them have, have jumped onto that as well to incorporate that into uh, their accounting firms. And so it's a cool thing to do, you know, yeah, uh, why not? Awesome. We're, we're all so privileged in these countries and these Western countries. We're so privileged, so blessed. Your money goes very far in the third world yeah. too. You hear, yeah. you know, a couple of dollars here, a couple of dollars there. It goes a long ways. That's, that's brilliant. And you know what? But no, it's also becoming a more important um, part of how you're evaluated as a business. Well, it, right? it's, it's, it's good karma too. It really is good to be socially responsible. There's no hmm. doubt about it. We, our whole world is opened up to that, especially over here in North America, Rob, with so many changes. Mm -hmm. um, people are just looking at people differently. Being good and socially responsible is not a bad thing. We're dealing with it in the pandemic. I'm not going to get on a soapbox, I promise. <laughs> but I've learned a lot about humanity and people. And I've learned a lot about what motivates people. And it, I've seen so much good, you know, there's people out there that realize the only way we're going to get through this is to follow certain principles, wearing a mask, whatever. We all know the drill and just trying to get through this so that we can all be together again someday and we can learn from it. Because one thing about pandemic history and they're, they've been happening forever, as long as we've been, we've been, um, um, on this planet <laughs> we've been dealing with pandemics and it you come back stronger society comes back stronger some you know, we don't see that now so yeah it's uh it's nice to see people coming together and doing something like that is you know the world isn't so small or so so big it is small when you you know put money into a, a cause like that it just goes a long way yeah, it's good for everyone. It's yeah. good for the it, world. It is good karma. It's also good yeah. business. It's everything um, about it feels good. There, there's lots of great things about it. And I think also, you know, in, in this time where we sit um, as a very fortunate few who've been able to not only survive COVID, but thrive during COVID because mm -hmm. um, of, of our recognition of the value of you know technology and working remotely and being able to do this this is this is the time for those of us that have been able to do well to share some of that success with, with those people who have people been. need you out there right now because it has become such a necessary profession with all the stimulus packages out there people have to get their numbers lined up in order to do all the reporting to get the funding, things like that. And they realize the value of their accountants and bookkeepers. And, you know, it's so important right now. And the ones that are tech enabled that weren't really phased by this, they, they were ready to take on that extra business. And it's just added value. It's going to get people through it, right? Companies that don't have that a business that doesn't have a good accounting system and a good accountant is just going to fail and no one's really going to know about it. They're going to become a statistic, right? right. So we've become but, so necessary. I've also got, like, I mean, like, and, and I've, I wonder from, from your perspective, Rob, having done so much work with B1, G1, I mean, it's great to be altruistic, but in your experience, <laughs> but, is this, are, are these programs that pay for themselves in, in the, the goodwill that you create with them? I, I think they do, but I don't promote it enough. You know, we do, we do it, we tie it back to their profitability, um, the client's profitability, which is great, um, and we promote that, but I don't really promote it as a, um, 
a marketing tool, if you will. There's a little bit on my website, um, but that, that's about all. So you could though, you could definitely, you know, when we sign up a new firm, we definitely do some giving as well. But yeah, um, but, you've got to be, I mean, there's a tasteful line there, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, but I think that even if you're not out there screaming it from the rooftops, the goodwill that it's created mm -hmm. by being part of this comes back to you. Let's put it this way. If I have two choices, if I have two choices and one business does nice things like that and the other one doesn't have anything like that, who are you going to go with? Right. And, and well, Brett, uh, in, in this case, you don't have two choices. You have two million choices. Yeah. Here's an example that you may have seen. And I don't know why this happened, but uh, uh, I think Australia led the world in the toilet paper shortage when the pandemic. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, yeah. I saw it, but you called it blue roll. <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff. I don't know why that happened. Anyway, did. anyway there's a business called um, Who Gives a Crap, right? That's the company name. <laughs> And of course, it's a subscription business for toilet paper. Um, and their business has gone through the roof since the pandemic hit, right? But what they do, they give 50% of their profits, um, and they're a small you know, private company, 50% of their profits goes into charitable giving. And, and, the, and the, 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 um, the chief was interviewed last week, the owner, and he said, in the last 12 months since the pandemic hit, we've given away $5.85 million. Half of our profits have been given away. And, and, and we, we hadn't signed up to them, right? But be, and I said to my wife, I said, sign up with these guys. Uh, and, and, and the next day, a big box, literally a box of <laughs> toilet paper turns up. I thought that was awesome. They gave away half their profits and, you know, and great service. Well. Yeah. So now I got to ask the question how do you run low on Lou Roll then? <laughs> uh, you know i stalk you <laughs> oh no yeah <laughs> on that, that note happened? andrew yeah. i think we're at the top of the hour yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe that's so rob that this has, been, this has been awesome thank you so much for for coming on i've i've learned a ton and i don't even have a firm um a lot of good nuggets and there's a lot of good wisdom um love it um so th yeah thank you next week everyone we have um Special guest, Zoe Wilster himself, Will Lopez, is going to come in. Are and if you're politics? still out there, Will, no, no politics, Will. It's okay. Um, Will, is, Will is retiring his red cap, um, presumably. I find that hard to believe. No, we, we won't talk about politics. I promise. I promise. I don't make that promise. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Rob, you may not know this, but uh, so uh, we have uh, diverging political opinions between Rob and Brad. And I think that this, no, this yeah, that's a great discussion to have. Will. Or between, Will. Sorry, no, Will but Will's that. a good man. I, I sometimes find guy. it hard to believe he supported somebody like that, but we all have our reasons and politics are personal and we shouldn't even be talking about them at yeah. all. But it's been kind of impossible not to. And that doesn't matter anymore because uh, America is under new um, management. And I, and I think I we're all going to be all right. I think it's, it's more important than ever before because we have... It's still a very volatile situation in the U.S. Oh, yeah. It's got to be managed. I agree. Well, but at the same time. It needs to be discussed. The communication doors need to be opened up. So I oh, love they, that Will is our guest next week because I think we have to have a discussion between both oh, I, I think Will will be uh, open to that. He's <laughs> I see Rob's eyes crazy over. He's like, I don't want to talk but to He's a Trump supporter. And, of course, um, he's he's very um, – he, he, he likes Donald Trump. He's He's been a big fan for a long time. Um but it's like when you meet somebody anyway, that's yeah that's next week we are, we, that's next week that'll I'm lead up to it to having you here well 
And we actually already have some people ready here for the after show. So Rob, if you can stick around, please do. Um, and thank you for those of you who, who tuned in live. Uh, we'll be back next week with another great guest and uh, look forward to chatting with you then. Bye for now. Bye.